This is a special podcast of Uncommon Sense for 3RRR FM. This interview is with former US Republican Congressman Bob Inglis, who chatted to us about his conversion to taking action on climate change, as well as his advocacy for a carbon tax in America. And you're listening to 3RRR. Uh, this is Uncommon Sense with Amy. And we now have a very special guest, and I just can't wait to have this chat Uh Bob Inglis is a former US Republican congressman um, and he is also now the founder of Republican RepublicN.org uh, and he has a very interesting story. He's here in Australia as a guest of the Australia Institute and he joins us on the phone. Thank you so much, Bob, for joining us. Great to be with you, Amy. Thank you. Um, so... First of all, how are you enjoying Australia? I saw some um, pictures on Instagram. I think you were in Tasmania recently. Yes, we spent the weekend uh, in and around Hobart. So um, I got to ride most of the way up to Mount Wellington and uh, uh, then the daylight started failing us um, <laughs> and uh, got to go to the Botanical Gardens there. Really, really beautiful place. And some and very large, tall trees. Oh, yeah, we got to see that in, in the sticks. Uh, we did that. Uh, that was awesome, too. And uh, that really kind of segues into, um, you know, your now your passion for um, the environment uh, and, and the journey that you took to come to this uh, particular position that you have today. Um, in terms of, first of all, just a bit of a, a context for our, our listeners, um, you have s- referred to um, the, the seat that you held in Congress as one of the reddest in the country. Uh, it's in South Carolina. And, uh, and you were a congressman for two separate periods um, in the 90s and also in the mid-thousands. Um, and you had a, a moment, or actually a few moments of revelation or... Um, shift in your worldview on climate change and the environment. Could you just share um, what, where you started from on this issue and where you got to? What were the pivotal moments? Yeah, so, you know, for the first six years that I was in Congress, um, I took a really very ignorant position, actually. I, I didn't know anything about climate change except that Al Gore was for it. And in as much as I represented uh, quite a conservative district in South Carolina, um, that was the end of the inquiry for me. So uh, I admit that's a fairly ignorant uh, way to approach it, but that's what I did for six years. And then I was out of Congress for six years doing commercial real estate law again. Um, I ran again in '04, and as I was running, uh, my son came to me. He's the oldest of our five children, and he just turned 18, so he's voting for the first time. And he said to me, uh, Dad, I'll vote for you, but you're going to clean up your act on the environment. Uh, so it's the first of a three-step metamorphosis for me. And, and by the way, Amy, some people think he's making a threat. My, my son was going to vote for me no matter what. We were mor- mortgaging the farmette that we live on. You know, a, a farmette's when you're not really making a living at farming. You just play like a farmer. But we were mortgaging the farmette. Um, he was going to vote for me no matter what. But what he's really saying was, Dad, I love you and you can be better than you were in the first time in Congress. So let's make this Inglis 2.0, the new and improved version. And so that was the first step. Second step was going to Antarctica with the, to, to see the ice core evidence uh, with the science committee. And um, uh, then the third step was um, 
really a spiritual awakening here in Australia. Another science committee trip. We were at the Great Barrier Reef with uh, Scott Heron, an Aussie climate scientist, showing me uh, the effects of coral bleaching. And um, I could tell that he and I shared a worldview before any words were spoken, because I could see that he was worshiping God in what we were seeing. Um, And so afterwards we had a chance to talk. He told him about conservation changes he was making in his life in order to love God and love people. And uh, I got right inspired. I wanted to be like Scott, loving God and loving people. So I went home and introduced a revenue-neutral, border-adjustable carbon tax, which was probably not good political timing, seeing as how the global financial crisis was on. It was the reddest district and the reddest state in the nation, and it did not go well. Um, I got tossed out of Congress in a Republican primary, a pre-selection process, in June of 2010. So uh, that's uh, that's, a one, two, three-step conversion and then tossed out of Congress. (laughs) <laughs> so you uh, you had a lot of political courage, as they might say, and uh, and really staked your um, political career on this issue, which is a pretty um, big thing for any politician to do. Um, and as you say, you introduced the the Raise Wages and Cut Carbon Act in two thousand and nine, um, which uh, the US was in a recession at that point. Um, there was a forum that you spoke at um, to your constituents, where uh, a great deal of your constituents um, very much uh, started booing when you said that you believed in the climate science and that Australians, not Australians, sorry, that humans um, were the cause of uh, global warming or certainly contributed to it. Um, How did you, when you saw this response to your constituents, um, what were your thoughts about it? And did you think, okay, well, now I've just got to ride out my term and, um, you know, I, I probably won't get back in? Well, it's a great, great research. If you've seen that clip, it really was yeah. quite a moment. It's quite a moment. So, uh, uh, yeah, the uh, you know, yes or no? Do you believe that in human causation and climate change? You know, and I had a terrible habit, of, and Amy, of answering questions. So I said yes, um, and that did not go well. But you know what? What I what I'd say is this: um, pity the souls who serve in Parliament or in Congress and get to the end of a very long career and look themselves in the mirror as they're leaving that place and realize they stood for nothing. I pity that soul um, because it's so much better to, to stand for something and risk getting thrown out because if you're not really willing to risk your seat in Congress or in Parliament, you're really not leading. And so you're pretty useless to the whole process if you're not willing to lead. So, um, you know, so I, I, I really don't regret it. I mean, it's, 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 I wish that it worked out differently and that I might still be in Congress. But on the other hand, I'm able now to be about something that's big enough to be about. And that, uh, that's about all you can ask for in a work life, isn't it? 
Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you're in Australia because I, I know that Australian politicians could certainly do with some of this sage advice. Um, and one of the uh, speeches that you gave in the Environment Committee towards the end of your career was about saying that, um, you know, politicians and in this particular committee, you're on the record and that our grandchildren um, will look back and see what I stood for and what you stood for. And I hope that you'll be on the record um, in supporting action on climate change. Um, and it was a really strong um, and moving uh, speech because I think that's really lost in the current debate when we start um, the politics of fear. Um, and one of the interesting um, things that, that I've seen you say is that responsibility, you say responsibility brings guilt. Um, and so that's kind of one of the, the uh, responses that some of your constituents might have felt is that um, their, their fear of feeling guilty for having contributed to climate change. Uh, but that guilt without redemption brings paralysis. Uh, and your view is, well, what if there is redemption and and then you, you propose a solution um, for redemption? And I think that's a really interesting way of framing it and looking at um, our human responses to this issue. What is yeah, your that, solution? Oh, sorry, go ahead, Bob. Yeah, it's so important. Well, yeah, that, uh, in the end, uh, wonderful that you've done such great research on this. Yeah, because it, it, it is guilt without redemption is what brings paralysis. And so if we think we can't get out of this spot, then we're paralyzed. And denial is a pretty good coping mechanism. But if, we, if you tell me that there's a chance that we can do better, that we can have prosperity and have more energy, more mobility, more freedom, and just cleaner... Um, then, then I can sign on to that. But if you tell me that I'm consigned to a future where we continue to use just the fossils, um, then I'll just deny the existence of any problems associated with the burning of those fossils. But, you know, by, by the way, Amy, a very important Australian connection to what you just described, which is that... Um, where I heard that, let's get this on the record, was from Kim Beasley, who was Australia's ambassador to the United States. And I realized that uh, here I am, a conservative Republican, quoting Kim Beasley, a mm -hmm. Labor Party member. But isn't that okay? I mean, it was, it's a very important statement from Kim Beasley. He, he says when, when he runs into people, this is what I got so interested in and what I used in that vignette you're talking about at the Science Committee. He told me that uh, when he runs into people who dispute the science of climate change, he, he says, let's make sure to get this on the record because I want my grandchildren and your grandchildren to know what I was saying and what you were saying. And it's just such an important concept that really people are going to know where we stood. And so, um, and it is, it's also reflective of, you know, the current problem. I, I know in America and perhaps here in Australia is, you know, a, a conservative can't quote a Labor Party member because, uh, you know, you've got to draw battle lines. But it's a real keen insight from Kim Beasley, and I'm happy to use it. Well, that's a glowing uh, recommendation and endorsement. Um, and that you're absolutely right. In Australia, it's the same. Um, there is a very tribal um, um, 
orthodoxy of how to behave and to approach this issue and it's very ideological. Uh, we're currently seeing our energy debates um, have a great deal of I- ideology and, and facts aren't necessarily uh, in the mix uh, or as, as we now have alternative <laughs> facts which <Yeah>. has <laughs> entered the vocabulary. Um, but uh, one of the things that uh, you mentioned is that conserv- So as, as we see there is this divide between Republicans and uh, Democrats and we've seen the um, Obama reform about clean energy and uh, we don't know whether those will continue under a Trump administration or whether the Paris Climate Agreement will remain um, a a key priority for the US. But your view is, um, and I quote from one of your articles, is that conservatives in America will join the conversation when the talk is conducted in the language of abundance. And that is the kind of language that you use in these policy propositions that you've been putting forward and that you're now advocating through uh, Republican is that uh, it's about looking to the future and getting a competitive edge uh, and really growing the economy. And that's, I guess, something that Australia has been trying to uh, put forward or a lot of the people in the renewable and energy industry. Um, Could you expound a little more on on that view and and how the views that you put forward are essentially conservative? Yeah. So at republicen.org, what we advocate is a, a, a way of bringing accountability to all the fuels. What we would do uh, is eliminate all the subsidies for all the fuels. Um, in America, we have, for example, an electric car credit, $7,500 you get if you buy an electric car uh, off of your taxes. We'd eliminate that. We'd eliminate all the props for wind and solar. And so far, I mean, that sounds terrible to wind and solar and renewables. But then we'd eliminate also the biggest subsidy of them all, the, the granddaddy subsidy which is being able to burn fossil fuels without any accountability for the emissions. If you put those costs on, uh, attribute those costs, attach those to the burning of those fossil fuels, that's the economic fix that changes everything for the environment. What we believe at RepublicEN.org is what we have here is a problem of economics that has an environmental consequence. Uh, the environmental left in, in America tends to focus on the environment. We, in the eco-right, as we call it, a balance to the environmental left, um, say it's about economics. Fix the economics and the environment will take care of itself. So we're for eliminating all the subsidies, including that biggest one of all, which is the ability to, 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 to belch and burn into the trash dump of the sky without paying any tipping fee for the damages you're causing there. So if you put the tipping fee on it, suddenly the renewables are competitive without any props, without any clean energy funds, without any any subsidies of any sort, without any mandates. They're just competitive because now coal and petroleum are really accountable. So we, we believe, Amy, that this is a message that conservatives in America and hopefully in other countries too can embrace is that we really believe in accountability. That's sort of a, a hallmark of conservatism. We think that blessings flow from accountability and havoc results when you don't have accountability. And what we have in the climate system right now is havoc because of the lack of accountability. So it's a we do it differently than President Obama. He was going to do a, a regulatory approach. Uh, we do it differently than cap and trade. That was a uh, that was a 
pretty complicated system in America. We'd make it a simple carbon tax and then re refund all the money back to the people, either in the form of dividend checks cut quarterly or um, in other tax reductions. So it's revenue neutral. And then probably the big, big impact on Australia here is that we would apply that tax to imports. We think China would challenge in the World Trade Organization but we think we'd beat them in the, in the WTO. And after we beat them, they'd follow suit because otherwise on entry of their goods into the United States, they'd be paying a carbon tax. It would be remitted to Washington. They could have collected that tax at home and remitted it to Beijing. So 24 hours after the WTO upholds our, our border adjustable carbon tax, China would do the same thing. And so then the whole world would be on it, and it really would change, I think, the economics, particularly for the extractive industries here in Australia. So you're talking about um, emissions-intensive uh, exports that are going into America and being imported into America um, would have a carbon tax placed on it by America and in that sense um, really force the hand of other governments um, by the U.S. taking the lead. Correct. It's, and that's why, you know, some people would say, Amy, this is this nuts. There's no way English, this guy talking right now, is going to get Donald Trump to do that. But think about it. It really does sort of fit with what he says about America first and America is going to lead and China is going to follow. Um, is You can hear him saying it at a rally. I mean, I can say it very diplomatically and prefer to say it that way. But I can hear Donald Trump taking my our idea at RepublicEN.org, and, and by the way, it's the idea of many others as well. It's, it's not just us, um, and turn it into a populist message that actually works and that accomplishes something. Because you know what? It is right. It's, this is what I've heard in Australia, and it's true. I heard in America is if Australia acts on its own or America acts on its own, we're accomplishing really very little. It's essential to get China and the rest of the world in on this thing. And so the way to do that is a muscular, bold move by the United States to say, we're going forward, we're gonna do a carbon tax. If you don't have one in your country, you will pay it on entry into the United States. So now make your own decisions. You can either have that money and collect it at home or we'll happily collect the carbon tax on entry of your goods into our country because we've got a deficit and we'd like the money, thank you. So you can hear Donald Trump saying that at a rally. And if he does, and if he makes that decision, then things could really change in the economics, especially of coal. Well, it is very bold. <laughs> and uh, even in a, in an American context where, um, it, you know, it is a, a minimalist, interventionist type of government uh, in general, even for Democrats. Um, and, you know, Australia has, has a bit more of a larger government approach um, in general. But you, as you say, there are other groups who are also lobbying for this. Um, the Climate Leadership Council is one of them um, that, you, that you and your organisation are working with. And something that uh, that has come up, as you say, is, is Donald Trump and his kind of renegade approach to um, policy. Do you think that the, the constituents who were against um, your proposal when you put it forward would be more amenable um, to a Trump proposition of this kind? Do you, what do you see as being the arguments that anyone would um, put against it? 
I think the main attra- the main attraction would be the lack of any need for an international agreement. Um, you know, if if, if if Donald Trump decided to do what I just I just uh, talked about, it would require no international agreement. It'd just be the United States acting very boldly, and then China challenging the World Trade Organization. We think at RepublicEN.org losing in the WTO, and then them following suit. And after China gets in with America, the rest of the world is going to follow. Because if you're doing business anywhere in the world, you're probably doing business with China and the United States. And so uh, the, the main attraction, I think, would be it fits with his sort of America first kind of rhetoric. Again, it's not the rhetoric that I like to use, but you can see how it could fit at one of his rallies. So essentially, um, Trump needs to to sell something like this to uh, climate deniers who may be in his um, in his supporter base. Yeah, and of course, there's some climate realists. We call ourselves at RepublicEN.org energy optimist and climate realist. And there's some climate realists in his administration, most important of which is Rex Tillerson, the new Secretary of State who as recently as October 19th, 2016, was advocating for exactly what we're talking about at RepublicEN.org and with the Climate Leadership Council that Secretaries Scholz, Bolt, Baker, and uh, Paulson are talking about. And so um, we think there's some hope on the inside that Rex Tillerson would um, uh, would help uh, push the president uh, toward, toward this outcome. Well, as you say, he said that, and, and that was when he was uh, CEO of ExxonMobil, um, which is an oil and gas company, and uh, he saw the profit um, involved in that, in kind of levelling the playing field, um, and uh, and obviously gas uh, has less emissions than coal. Um, how do you think uh, you will prosecute this argument um, and, and those your coalition, I guess, of, um, of like-minded Republicans prosecute this argument uh, publicly, but also how would you manage to to lobby for this? Well, what, what we think we need to do at RepublicEN.org is go to the people um, that are like us, actual conservatives, with credible messengers and affirm their truth. Tell them that they're really good, that they've got good ideas, that we have good ideas. In other words, that we conservatives aren't the laggards here. It's just that the solutions that have been proposed so far in America have been big government solutions. There's a small government solution available. It's a simple fix of the market condition. It's, it's a transparency accountability move. And so it's completely consistent with what conservatives believe. So, But in order to make progress, we have to go to them with credible messengers and affirm their truth. It would, if, if, if progressives uh, in America try to speak to conservatives, they typically speak down to us. They, they act like they're policy and they're halos and looking down on us, the sinners. Well, that's not very attractive. So we go to conservatives and say, hey, we're, we're like you. We're one of you. We are you. And, and you know what? We got a good idea. We do. We conservatives. And so let's raise our hand in class. We're the kid with the answer. And the good news, Amy, is that there are many progressives who would accept this idea as well. So um, it's, for example, what we're talking about and what Secretary Schulz, Baker, and Paulson are talking about is precisely what Al Gore has been advocating for about 30 years now. 
So it really is possible to bring America together, we believe, um, and um, lead, hopefully, the world to a transparent, accountable marketplace where we end up with 7 billion consumers around the world demanding better, cleaner, faster, cheaper energy, better storage, better solar, and the money that will flow into the R&D at that point in the commercialization will create exciting opportunities in business to make money and to serve customers with distributed energy systems that light up the world with more energy, more mobility, more freedom. Certainly, um, this really does sound like a, a strong and uh, a bold, slightly radical uh, to some proposal in America, but it could work based on the economy and the type of entrepreneurial spirit um, you have in your market. Um, just finally, do you see that you need to or would want to bring a, Democrats alongside with you on this issue? Definitely. We, 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 as I just said, uh, Al Gore has been for this for about 30 years. Of sitting course, what we first had... people and, and those people currently sitting? Yeah, and, and there are, in fact, for example, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island is a Democrat um, who's, uh, who's boldly introduced essentially what I'm describing here. Um, and another, John Delaney, a Democrat from Maryland in the House in America, has introduced the same bill. And so, yeah, there are people currently serving on the Democratic side who are willing to work with us as conservatives and create a solution that fits with conservative values because they want to solve the climate challenge. And at the end of the day, isn't that what we're trying to do? we got to come together and figure out a solution. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Bob, for joining us. It's been absolutely fascinating and uh, a, a very interesting, pragmatic approach, which um, it's really great to hear an alternate view and an alternate solution to this. So thank you for joining us and for, for going on a tour around Australia to share your views. Uh, well, thank you for having me on and for the wonderful hospitality here in Australia. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thanks so much, Bob. Bye-bye. And you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. I'm Amy Mullins, the host of this show on 3RRR. You can listen in every Tuesday in Melbourne at 9am till 12pm. And if you are elsewhere, you can listen online through the RRR website. Hope to see you again next time.